This is Patrick Ridgel, and once again, I'm here with Transamerica Asset Management Chief Investment Officer, Tom Wald. Hello, Tom. Hello, Patrick. So, Tom, you've just written a piece, or I guess you refer to it as a special report entitled Prospects of Upcoming October Volatility. What made you decide to write this? Well, Patrick, uh, I've been in the investment business for more than 30 years now, and I would say it's rare, pretty rare, when you see such a wide range of potential developments coming together in a relatively short period of time, uh, similar to what we could be seeing in this month of October. And when you combine that with the fact that we have seen pretty much historic strength in stocks and the credit markets since last March, and a lot of these potential developments are somewhat clouded in uncertainty, well, all of this can start to look like a recipe for some short-term market volatility with perhaps some downside to the markets. So you see potentially a lot going on during October. Uh, you know, I do. And to be clear, we're still very constructive on the long-term outlook for both stocks and the credit markets. But anytime you're heading into the final quarter of a year after moves like we've seen since March, uh, even when taking into account these moves occurred following a historic sell-off back in February, March, still uh, we have seen a a 60% plus move in the S&P 500 between March 23rd and September 1st, and high-yield credit spreads have compressed by more than half from just under 11% to just over 5% during that same time. And since the beginning of the year, the 10-year Treasury yield has uh, dropped to record low levels, uh, having begun the year just below 2%, uh, and now it's at about 0.7%. I okay. mean, these are, you know, these are once in a decade, uh, you know, maybe even close to once in a generation type moves in terms mm-hmm. of their distance and the period of time by which they got there. So, you know, given all this, uh, we think investors should be fully aware of some of the market developments that are either happening right now or could happen in the next month or so, uh, if for no other reason than to be prepared for price fluctuations and perhaps potentially to take advantage of them. Sounds logical. Where should we begin? Uh, Well, uh, when I was finishing up the paper last week, Patrick, uh, right when September was turning to October, uh, I had defined five focus areas that we believe could have real impacts on the markets this month. And these were the ongoing infection and fatality rates of the COVID-19 virus, pending clinical data on COVID-19 vaccine candidates, the pace of economic recovery here in the U.S. for the rest of uh, 2020, uh, prospects of a new economic and stimulus package from Congress, and, of course, the final stretch of the presidential and congressional elections. And then, Patrick, just as I was finishing up writing about all of these, literally about 10 minutes after I was all done, I saw the news flash across that President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump had tested positive for COVID-19. So I had to add that unprecedented development into the mix also. So so let's start there. The president of the United States has COVID-19. How do investors begin to wrap their arms around that? Well, well, first, uh, it it goes without saying that we hope that the president and the first lady fully recover from the virus quickly and safely. Of course. Now, from a market and investment standpoint, The impact of the president's medical condition is very hard to quantify. 
But we have mapped out a few very broad scenarios and how the market could react to them. Okay. Those being? Well, one scenario is uh, since President Trump's contraction of the virus is believed to have come from an advisor within his administration who had traveled with him, uh, there is a risk of wider spread of the virus within the federal government and perhaps into Congress. And we're already beginning to see uh, some of this uh, with a couple of senators, Mike Lee from Utah and Tom mm-hmm. Tillis from North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the president's former advisor, Kellyanne Conway, and former New Jersey Governor uh, Chris Christie, who was uh, working closely with President Trump last week on the debate prep. Mm-hmm. So, so if we see more spread of the virus, perhaps among you know high-ranking officials and cabinet members, uh, the, the market won't won't like that at all. Yeah, I could certainly see something like that, you know, potentially disrupting the markets. Yes, and another scenario the market probably would, you know, not like either would be if President Trump were to become very ill, which yeah. of course we don't have any indication of yet. Uh, yeah. But if that if that were to occur and he is quote unquote unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office as defined by the 25th amendment of the constitution he would then have to hand the day-to-day presidency over to vice president mike pence right. uh, this has never really happened since the 25th amendment was passed in 1967 except on uh, three occasions when presidents had routine surgeries and, and the vice presidents were in charge for a few hours, you know, during the surgeries, but but no more than that. Okay. Uh, but if we were to have a real handoff uh, for you know for days or weeks, you know, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if yeah. it did, again, probably not a good reaction from the market. Mm. Uh, and and what what probably also has to be recognized is because of the president's contraction of the virus and the criticism he has received about his handling of COVID nineteen on the whole, you know, deserve it or not deserve it. Uh, we are probably looking at an increasing probability Joe Biden wins the election next month. Okay. And there could be a growing market reaction to that probability based in large part on Mr. Biden's tax policies uh, as have been communicated by his campaign. Okay. Anything else? Uh, yes. And uh, this is a bit ironic, uh, but the one uh, potential favorable outcome would be if the president's condition provides an incentive for Republicans and Democrats to actually come together in an agreement and passage of a second economic relief and stimulus package. Okay. Uh, they've been deadlocked in an impasse on this for a few months now, and the thinking is the Republicans might be willing to give a little more on the negotiations now that, now that President Trump actually has the virus. So a lot to follow regarding the reverberations of the president's condition. Uh, yes, definitely. And you mentioned developments of a vaccine as being on your list also? Uh, yes. And, and you might recall in our mid-year market outlook back in July and in some of the commentaries since then, we have said that the biggest wild card for the markets right now is a successfully developed vaccine for COVID-19. And do you think we could be seeing some news on this front? Yes, but we need to be clear on a few things. Uh, First, there is nothing officially scheduled to be released this month pertaining to vaccine news. Uh, But there are currently four vaccine candidates engaged in phase three clinical trials. The four uh, companies that have developed these vaccines, uh, three are pharmaceutical giants, 
Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and Johnson Johnson, uh, and the other is Moderna, which is a smaller biotech company. Now, phase three trials are critical on two counts. First, uh, they are designed to prove or not prove the efficacy of a drug, or in this case, a vaccine, in terms of real medical outcomes, such as in a group of like 30,000 non-infected people, how many wind up actually getting infected by the virus versus a placebo group uh, not receiving the, the vaccine. Uh, and, and second, uh, this medical data from phase three clinical trials is in large part the basis for formal approval by the Food and Drug Administration, also known as the FDA, in terms of actually making a vaccine available to the public. And to date, none of these candidates has completed or released any of this data, any of this phase three clinical data. That, that's right. So frankly speaking, we know very little right now. Right. The phase one and two data have shown so far that these vaccine candidates appear to be safe in terms of not creating any dangerous side effects and that they can successfully create what look to be antibodies to fight COVID-19. But again, it is this phase three data, which is designed to provide real medical outcomes and results, as in, does it actually prevent or mitigate infections of COVID-19? And we don't know any of that yet. No, we don't. And might we in the month ahead? Uh, we could. Uh, there is a school okay. of thought here, particularly among those uh, who invest in pharmaceutical and biotech stocks, that since some of these phase three trials have been ongoing since the summer, that we could see a public release of at least partial data uh, from one or more of these trials sometime this month. Again, this is conjecture, and I want to be clear about that. But there is some belief that, uh, that we could uh, actually be seeing some data in this next month or so. And if we do see some real phase three data from any of these companies running the trials, I, I think there could be a strong reaction by the markets. Good or bad? Yes, good or bad. Uh, the stakes are obviously very high, and I'm afraid to say so are the expectations. There has been growing anticipation, and as we just mentioned, basically no information yet on any of the vaccines and these phase three trials, and in terms of their actual efficacy in preventing the virus. Any news here will be huge. Uh, with a high probability the market will react meaningfully to any data, either good or not so good. And again, we don't even know when we'll see any of this news, may or may not be during this month, but investors should be prepared for it nonetheless. So it could come fast and furious this month, or it might not come until later in the year. Uh, th that's right. And as we said, it's a huge wild card, okay. and we could be hearing more about it this month. Uh, and as we know, COVID-19 cases, unfortunately, continue to rise. Yeah. We're up above 7.5 million cases here in the U.S. So any favorable news on vaccines would be, of course, greatly appreciated by the market and, and more importantly, by global society. Mm -hmm. But if we get less than favorable data from these clinical trials, you know, that could be tough on the markets. Yeah. Now, shifting gears to the economy. And I know it's tough to separate out the economy from the virus right now, but how are you seeing economic news impacting the market over the next month? Uh, yes, that's very interesting, too. So uh, as we know, first quarter economic growth in the U.S. 
was impacted by COVID-19 pretty much in the month of March, and this resulted in annualized uh, GDP contraction or negative growth of negative 5% in the first quarter. Okay. Uh, then in the second quarter, we went into what you know history will likely dub the great lockdown, mm. uh, and we experienced the worst individual quarter of economic contraction since the 1930s with annualized negative growth for that second quarter that ended back in June of just under negative 32 yeah. uh, percent it still sounds shocking just to say that even months later yeah, it, it sure does uh, now the good news is that in terms of the third quarter that uh, just recently concluded on september 30th uh, most forecasts are projecting an impressive and a historic turnaround back to positive growth for these past three months uh, in fact uh, the atlanta fed which probably has uh, one of the most watched forecasts mm -hmm. right now is estimating better than plus 34 percent positive annualized growth for this recently concluded third quarter plus 34 percent that that's a lot better than what people were expecting a couple of months ago isn't it uh yeah yes it is and what that also means is that in terms of a complete recovery Getting back to where aggregate GDP numbers were before the virus, let's say the fourth quarter of 2019, okay. most longer-term forecasts from last summer pretty much didn't have us getting back to that point until about the end of 2022 or even early 2023. Yeah. Now, if we do in fact see this exceptionally strong 34% GDP growth in the third quarter, uh, we could be on pace to potentially reachieve pre-virus GDP levels by the end of 2021. So that's a big improvement. Yeah, so that sounds like really good news. Uh, it, it is. It is really good news, but it's already happened. The third quarter is now over, and this dramatic, this historic third quarter turnaround in economic growth has, in our opinion, uh, probably already played a major role in the market's recovery, as in okay. that 60% plus move in stocks between late March and early September and the big drop in credit spreads uh, moving the bond markets. So the markets have likely fully priced uh, this quarter's strong turnaround into current prices. And so now it's on to the fourth quarter. It is. And the overall picture there, you know, is a good bit more uncertain. Uh, in our opinion, the market will now be shifting its focus from how great third quarter economic growth was to how much of that pace in growth uh, can be repeated in the fourth quarter. And, and, and that's a far murkier picture. I think we'll continue to see positive GDP growth in the fourth quarter, but it, it will certainly be below the third quarter. Uh, how much below? I, I think at this point, nobody really has a very good feel. But unfortunately, the trend in fourth quarter GDP growth estimates have been uh, trending downward over the past uh, couple of weeks. Uh, last month, most of the forecasts were hovering close to the plus 10% range on annualized GDP growth for this upcoming fourth quarter. Uh, now, you know, most are being uh, adjusted downward to about the 3 to 5% range. Mm, th those are pretty big changes. Is there anything in particular driving that? Yes, I think more than anything else, it's the failure of Congress to pass a second economic relief and stimulus package. The stalled negotiations between the White House and Democratic leaders in the House is now starting to show up in the revised 
fourth quarter GDP forecasts that we just mentioned. You know, as the third quarter growth forecasts kept rising and stocks were reaching new highs, you know, in August, Mm -hmm. the markets didn't seem to care all that much that the stimulus talks in Congress were stalling. But now as we begin a new quarter with virus levels rising, mm-hmm. I think continued failure between the parties to get a new stimulus package passed could start to weigh more heavily on the market uh, this month. What seems to be the holdup? Well, the two parties can't seem to agree on either a dollar amount of the entire stimulus package or the specific contents uh, within the legislation. The Democrats are proposing a total package of about $2.2 trillion, and the Republicans uh, want about a trillion less than that. And there is some disagreement as to how much unemployment insurance should be provided to displaced workers and how much funding should go to state and local governments. But, But it really should not be that difficult, in my opinion, for the two sides to come together. And, of course, it's an election year. So I'm sure there's some strategic posturing uh, going on from both sides as well. Do you, do you think they'll eventually get there? Do you think they'll eventually get to an agreement? Uh, yes. And, and as I mentioned you know, a couple of minutes ago, uh, this, this, this sort of highlights what a strange place Washington can be sometimes. Yeah. But there is some thought that President Trump contracting the virus could actually help the two sides reach an agreement. Uh, this could be because the Republicans might have a greater urgency uh, based on the virus reaching the highest office in the world. And, uh, and and they could, you know, be a bit backed into a corner as the election day approaches if President Trump is off the campaign trail. So so we'll see. So you're more optimistic that a deal will get done? Uh, somewhat, though I'm still not highly optimistic they'll do it by the election. Which, if they don't, we go through the month of October without a new stimulus package while GDP growth estimates are being revised downward and mm-hmm. virus cases keep rising. That, that's not a great combination. Mm-hmm. So this is all one more potential source of volatility for the markets in the month ahead. What do you think the market is hoping for in terms of a final stimulus package if if Congress can get there? Yeah, yeah, very good question, Patrick. The market uh, would probably be very receptive to something along the lines of about two trillion dollars in uh, in aggregate, uh, and and the composition similar to the CARES Act passed uh, back in March, uh, okay. with similar types of provisions such as direct payments to individuals and families unemployment insurance, continuation of the Paycheck Protection Program to small businesses, and probably more direct assistance to the airlines. Okay. Uh, And and the frustrating uh, aspect of all this, Patrick, is that at the end of the day, the two sides are really not that far apart. I I think they'll get there. I'm just not too optimistic about the timing right now. And And, of course, no discussion of October would complete without talking about the election which is entering its final stretch now, but under far different circumstances than was the case just a week or so ago. Uh, yes, and, and it's really difficult to quantify precisely the impact President Trump's COVID-19 status will have on these final few weeks of the campaign. But I think the sign so far uh, is that it's not not all that great for the president right now. A uh, few reasons why I say this. One, uh, he'll be off the campaign trail for at least a couple of weeks and quite possibly the rest of the way out. 
Two, it's questionable at this point uh, if there will be more debates. And it appears as though the first debate did not play well for him nationally and in some key battleground states. And finally, the polling since the first debate and his virus diagnosis, at least according to the real clear politics running average, have broken hard toward Joe Biden. And from a market perspective, what are you watching for as we approach Election Day? In terms of what could really move the market, I think two things. The first is, could we really be looking at the prospect of delayed final results or contested election dragging on past November 3rd? Uh, This has been something that had been talked about a fair amount in recent weeks and, and not in the context of, you know, just a day or two, as was the case in previous close elections like 1960, 1968, or 2004, but delayed or contested results lasting for weeks or even months, similar to the Bush-Gore election of 2000. Uh, That scenario does scare some investors, and most likely the markets would not like it at all. Do you think there's a real probability that could happen? I would say this scenario is now a lot less likely than a couple of weeks ago. Uh, At this point, the post-debate and Trump COVID-19 diagnosis uh, has really changed the landscape to some extent, in my opinion. Uh, And there's just less of a probability of this happening. Uh, But but we'll see. There's there's still uh, there's still a lot of time for things to change. And the second election factor potentially impacting the markets in October? Uh, so this one pertains to what could be an adverse reaction by the markets if Joe Biden wins the presidency and the Democrats regain a majority in the Senate. Okay. Uh, if that were to occur, we are likely to see a strong attempt in 2021 or 2022 for a Biden administration and Democrat Congress to repeal the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 and replace it with new federal tax legislation, uh, potentially implementing higher taxes on corporations and certain individuals. So as the probability of a Democrat sweep increases in the weeks ahead, the market may not like that either. Uh, Now, what has been expressed officially by the Biden campaign in terms of changes that uh, they would like to see in the federal tax code includes higher corporate tax rates. They've endorsed taking the marginal rate for businesses up from 21% to 28%, taking the marginal individual rate from 37% to 39.6%, taking capital gains rates from 20% to the individual rate, increasing inheritance taxes by eliminating the quote-unquote step-up provision on estate assets and possibly changing certain tax deductibility provisions on 401k plans. So all else being equal, and and of course it's important to realize there is a lot of all else here, (laughs) but all else being equal, the markets could react somewhat unfavorably to the prospect of a Biden victory combined with a change of control back to Democrats in the Senate. And, of course, we're assuming the Democrats main control of the House of Representatives as well, which pretty much looks like a given. Okay. Uh, And, and of course, Patrick, uh, as always, my comments here are market observations, not political opinions. Of course. So, in summary, October could create some downward pressure on the markets, all else being equal, as you like to say. Correct. How much how much could stocks fall if these events don't break as the market might want them to? Uh, 
So the way I see it, uh, we reached a high of 3,580 or 3,580 on the S&P 500 on September 1st. This was more than 60% higher than the S&P's intraday low on March 23rd. That was a huge move, a historic move. So uh, a a 10 to 15% correction off that level you know, should really not phase anyone, uh, you know, even if we didn't have all of these developments going on. So I think some of the October scenarios we just talked about could accelerate such a correction. 10 to 15 percent off the September 1st high puts the index in a range of about 3050 to 32.20. Uh, I, I really don't think investors should be shocked by any means if we see that range by the end of October. And longer term after that? Uh, longer term, we, we still really like stocks in the credit markets. Okay. Uh, the long-term catalysts and criteria, in our opinion, are still in place. Those being? Uh, a few things. Uh, historically low interest rates and a highly accommodative Federal Reserve. Okay. We don't see an interest rate hike from the Fed happening for at least a few years, if not longer. Yeah. Uh, also, the Fed is pumping a lot of liquidity into the system. I think we're looking at large-scale asset purchases of about $120 billion a month for at least a couple more years. Uh, this also means long-term rates probably remain low for a good bit of time also. And we're still seeing an economic recovery moving well ahead of the pace most thought was going to be the case just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Same applies for corporate earnings, which are expected to show strong recoveries in 2021. Mm-hmm. And all of this, in our opinion, translates into more than reasonable valuation levels on stocks. So long term, we still view all of these favorable characteristics as still in place. But there could be some buckle up time in the weeks ahead. Uh, yes, very well could be. And for long-term investors, that could be a real opportunity. Okay. But there's a lot to be watching here. Historically, the market has seen its share of ghosts uh, during the month of October, and there could be a few in the midst uh, this year, too. These are interesting times, to say the least. Tom, thanks for joining us today. And we'll see how some of these developments play out during our next broadcast. Thank you, Patrick. Look forward to it. Assets under management as of March 24th, 2020. Investments are subject to market risk, including the loss of principal. Asset classes or investment strategies described may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Fixed income investing is subject to credit rate risk, interest rate risk, and inflation risk. Credit risk is the risk that the issuer of a bond won't meet their payments. Inflation risk is the risk that inflation could outpace a bond's interest income. Interest rate risk is the risk that fluctuations in interest rates will affect the price of a bond. Investing in floating rate loans may be subject to greater volatility and increased risks. Equities are subject to market risk, meaning that stock prices in general may decline over short or extended periods of time. Investments in global international markets involve risks not associated with U.S. markets, such as currency fluctuations, adverse social and political developments, and the relatively small size and lesser liquidity of some markets. These risks may be greater in emerging markets. Alternative investment strategies may include long, short, and market-neutral strategies. Bear market strategies, tactical strategies such as debt and or equity, foreign currency trading strategies, global real estate securities, commodities, and other non-traditional investments. The information included in this podcast should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation for the purchase or sale of any security. 
This material contains general information only on investment matters. It should not be considered as a comprehensive statement on any matter and should not be relied upon as such. The information does not take into account any investor's investment objectives, particular needs, or financial situation. The value of any investment may fluctuate. This information has been developed by Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated and may incorporate third-party data, text, images, and other content to be deemed reliable. Comments and general market-related projections are based on information available at the time of writing and believed to be accurate, are for informational purposes only, are not intended as individual or specific advice, may not represent the opinions of the entire firm, and may not be relied upon for future investing. Investors are advised to consult with their investment professional about their specific financial needs and goals before making any investment decisions. Transamerica Asset Management, TAM, is the asset management business unit of Transamerica. TAM consists of Transamerica Funds, Transamerica Series Trust, and Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. 251039.